Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I want to talk to you tonight about the secrets of increase. Secrets of increase. One of the promises that God gives to Christians is the ability to be blessed and increase. Amen? I mean, I have known people that were just in terrible, terrible financial condition, and they got a hold of the principles of God, and God began to change their lives. And for those of you who have not been in church that often, I will try not to be long and boring, okay? Because I know this may be a big stretch, and we, we have guests. I don't know which ones you are, but if you wiggle a lot, then I'll know you are the guest. No, but in this increase, it's important to know how to cooperate with the prophetic word and what God says. And so we're going to read 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. And this is something, a story about a man named Jabez. And I want to tell you why I decided to teach about this tonight. It's because, oh, probably four years ago, I started praying the prayer that I'm going to read to you, the prayer, the same prayer that this man prayed. And since that time, the increase on my life has been quite significant. I was just telling Rod and Julie, for instance, that in the month of August, I was chosen of one of 40 people in the world that Charisma Magazine honored as the, the, what they felt were the top leaders, Christian leaders worldwide, okay? And frankly, I don't know that I, I don't think I was really, you know, I, I deserve that. I probably could have given them my own list, but I needed favor. Why? I needed favor because there are some things I'm doing right now. And so I needed the measure of faith and the measure of favor so I could have the visibility so I could do my job. Isn't God smart? The good thing, if he gives you a job to do, he's going to back you up. If he tells you you're going to get a building, he's going to give you the money for the building. Right, Commonwealth Church? Let's try that one more time. (laughs) He will do that. All right, let's read the scripture. Now, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez. You know what it means? I bore him in pain. In other words, every time you looked at Jabez, his mother would say, you are such a pain. You are such a pain. So, you know, that, that was not a very nice name for your mother to name you. Uh, in the United States, it's Mother's Day. So, you know, all day today I've been reading, getting WhatsApp. Use WhatsApp over here. I've been getting WhatsApps and, you know, uh, messages on my Twitter feed or whatever, you know, uh, just wishing me happy Mother's Day. But here I am preaching to you. Okay, so you better get something out of this. Now let's read the rest of it. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with you, me, so that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And I like the last part, and the Lord granted his request. You see, he didn't want to be a pain. And some people in their life, they have circumstances that happen to them. You know, Agnes here helps everybody gets their brain straight in the first row she drives. Anyway, and so, you know, but some of us would stop there and we'd be a victim, wouldn't we? We'd go, well, you know, my life circumstances, 
has caused me, my mother didn't love me, you know, uh, you know, I'm just rejected. We could also think for a moment, if we want to digress biblically, there was a man named David. You ever heard of King David? Well, let me tell you something. King David was rejected by his father. When the prophet Samuel came and said, I'm going to anoint one of your sons to be king, you think that his daddy even said, I think this guy could be king? No. I mean, he was out with the sheep, you know, and even when the prophet said, isn't there somebody else? Still, this was his big opportunity not to make this guy, David, feel rejected. But no, what did his, you know, father say? No, no, no. I mean, there's just, he's just out with the sheep. He's nothing. Nobody is nothing in God's kingdom. Every single person was born for a purpose. You were born for a purpose. There's a reason you're here. There's a reason God has you here. And so, you know, but that life is about choices, isn't it? You can make a choice that you're going to go to the penitentiary. Right, Rod? I mean, I knew you were pretty incorrigible. I didn't know you were that incorrigible. And we've known each other a long time. But I'm so glad that you made those choices. You became a Jesus freak. I mean, I'm so glad that you did. Just imagine if we rewind and that parole officer or whoever he was was told, no, this guy someday will be a pastor of a church in England. Probably he would have laughed. Probably he would have laughed. His record was against him. Everything was against him but God. So whatever the record is against you right now, whatever you have done, whatever mistakes you have done, when you ask Jesus into your heart, he wipes it away. You get a fresh new start. Whatever your mama said about you, whatever your daddy said about you. Again, going back to the story of David. So David made a decision, evidently, that he would not be bitter against his father. How do we know? Because when David went to fight the giant, he said, Goliath, he said, what shall be done for the person who kills this enemy? And the reward was their father's house would be exempted from taxes in Israel. Now, did David say, oh, no, I'm going to go kill this giant, but my dad deserves what he's going to get? Are you listening to me? He wasn't bitter. He didn't let life's circumstance print and imprint upon him. Don't let life and the, what we call the enemy of our soul, Satan, put a big victim sign on your forehead. God can take anyone's life and turn it around. God loves to take the least likely and make them great people. I mean, look at me. I have a degree in music. I have five years university training from Pepperdine University. I'm a classical pianist. I thought I was spending my life as a mom playing Beethoven and Bach. I never intended to have a worldwide television show. I never intended to be who I am today. I never intended to meet, you know, coming up, I have a governor of a big, big, huge city in the Far East I'm meeting with, 
and then the president of an African nation. Come on, how could that happen? How could God do that? You see, God can do anything with you. All he needs is his yielded life. For you to get out of the way and say, you're God and I'm not. He can change you. He wants to change you because he loves you. And again, I'm aware there's some people that maybe you've never been to a service like this. But I want to say to you, God loves you. You're very important to God. Now, what did Jabez pray? Now, one reason I want to bring this to you is I pray this prayer every single day. I pray it over ourselves. I pray it over my children. I pray it over my six grandchildren. I was waiting for a moment to tell you a grandchild story. You know, I, I mean, I've restrained myself remarkably. It's the fourth time I preached this weekend. Not one time have I told you how gorgeous my grandchildren are. But I will tell you one story. This is just free, you know. I mean, I thought I wasn't going to tell any grandchildren's stories. You know, I used to listen to people tell their grandchild stories, but that was before I had some, and they were so cute. I mean, I, now that mine are so cute, I know you'll love to hear this story. We have one grandson, and his name is Zion. And Zion is now, um, let's see, how old is Zion? Ten. And he just is the cutest thing. And my, it's very interesting because my, my daughter and her husband were told that they were not going to be able to have children. But I knew I needed to have grandchildren, so that wasn't going to work, you know. So, <laughs> so I prayed, and God spoke to me that God would give us a grandson named Zion. Only my daughter didn't like the name Zion. So God gave her a dream, and in the dream wrote his name on a blackboard and spoke to her audibly and said, you'll call your child Zion. So that worked. Now, because he's that kind of precocious child, He's very strong-willed. I can't imagine. Of course, he gets it from his grandfather. You know, he really gets it. <laughs> Isn't it good I'm speaking and not you? You don't get seconds. Okay. Anyway, so one day, Zion said to his mother when he was two, almost three, he said he took her, he took her, her, her face in his hands like this, and he looks and he goes, Mommy, I'm the boss. And she looks at him and she said, no, Zion, I'm the boss. And he thought about it a moment, takes her face in his hands again and looks at her and said, Mommy, we're the boss. And you're the boss of your blue jeans is what you're the boss of is what she told him. So anyway, I want to tell you something that, you know, I could have waited and said, no, I'm not going to have any grandchildren. I'm just going to be a victim. Or I could have waited and said, well, God, you told me that we were going to have a grandson named Zion. She had two more before that that she did not name Zion. She was a very hard case. And so, so anyway, but the point is, there's times we have to press into God. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy in your prayer life. So I read this and I started praying because, you see, uh, there are some circumstances in my life that have been difficult. We all have challenges. But I'm not going to have victim written on my forehead. Even if your mother thinks you're the biggest pain in the world, that is not God's idea for you. That's why we have prayer. And that's why we have the power of prayer. 
So let's look at what he did. Number one, he asked God to bless him. You know, I kind of had a hard time saying that. It sounded kind of egotistical. Oh, God bless me. I mean, I could say God bless other people, but God bless me? I don't know. I was like, that didn't quite fly with me. I mean, I am a Texan, and I know we're very humble people normally. Were you? Uh, maybe not, but, you know, we have the cowboys. What can I say? Oh, well, anyway. So you didn't say anything. Got very quiet at that moment. Well, we have to pray for the cowboys. They're not doing very well. But anyway, so so I began to ask God to bless me. And, and even though it was hard for me to say those words, because, you know, it's like I, I felt like in my religious thinking, we're supposed to ask God to bless other people, right? But we don't ask God to bless us. But I thought if it's in the B-I-B-L-E, then maybe I was safe because he did it. So I could do the same thing. Say yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So, and I thought perhaps this guy was remembering Genesis twenty-two seventeen. Blessing, I'll bless you. Multiply, now multiply your descendants of the stars of the heavens. The sand of the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gates of your enemy. That's the title of my first book. It's in 30 languages on prayer. And so I took it from this text. All right, another commentary says that he was praying for legacy to live a life that outlives him. Let me ask you a question. When you die, how will people remember you? Will they remember you as a selfish person that they're glad is gone? Will you have made any mark on society? Will you have made any mark to say that you lived a life larger than yourself? You know, it's sad to say there's some people that are very, very selfish out there. There's some people that just want to live for themselves and no one else. But you see, the first principle of the Bible is to give because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen? So we, by nature, as believers in Jesus, should want to give. Now, if we're not blessed, how are we going to give? If it's spiritual to be poor, how are you going to feed the poor? We should be eradicating poverty. We should be stopping human trafficking. We have some jobs to do in this earth. And we should be the first one to do it. We should be the first one to feed and clothe the poor and take care of people that have needs. You know, I'm not going to teach you on this, but I wrote a book with a whole chapter on eradicating poverty. Why haven't we thought about how to do that on the macro scale? I believe God wants to give us solutions. You know, in my church in Texas, we have a whole eradicating poverty plan. And so anybody that comes to our church, they can go through a class. And they're taught financial planning. They're taught how to get out of debt. And they're taught how to, how to bless other people. And you know what? It works. Many, many people are getting out of debt. And there's a spirit of generosity that's now loosed in our church. And actually, people are giving to other people. And business people in our church are now giving um, furniture. They are in furniture stores. Or they're giving cars away. I think we gave away nine cars to single mothers last year. If people don't have jobs, they take them out and help them get a, a driver's license if they need one or get a job skill. You see, this is the gospel. The gospel is alive. We should be different. We should love more. We should give more. We Christians shouldn't be known as 
dingy, angry, mean people that look like they drank a bottle of Pepto-Bismol for breakfast. Do you have Pepto-Bismol? Yes, no? You do? Then you should have laughed at that. That was your moment. Oh, you're a hard crowd. I'm working so hard up here. Another commentary I read suggests that he prays that he would be not worn down by life or sorrowful on what he does on a daily basis. Are you, have you ever been worn down by life? You know, so many people are depressed right now. So many. You know, when I was a young woman, when I was 20, I was extremely depressed. And, in fact, I was taking a whole lot of Valium every day. I couldn't eat. I couldn't cry. I didn't cry for a whole year. And God showed me how to dig out of that hole. And I'm free from depression. I mean, God healed me of that depression. You know, but so many people are depressed. And so many people are sorrowful. And it's not that we don't have a reason to be. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be depressed. But you know, God can help you. God can help you. He can show you how. You know, I mean, whether by reading books or getting somebody to help you with or getting some prayer ministry or we call it Zozo or going to a place where people help you pray over the pains in your life. God can heal the pain in your heart just like can he heal the pain in your body. And I've seen the blind see, the lame walk, the dead raised. I've seen every kind of miracle you can imagine. God doesn't want you to be worn down by life. Here, an overcomer with the power of God, we can be victorious. And God, yeah, maybe it's work. Like financially, some of you are in a big financial hole. Well, you worked real hard to get in that financial hole. <laughs> I mean, you spent a lot of money to get in that kind of debt. Amen? But God will help you dig out of that hole. And God will help you reach a point that you can be a blessing to others. One of the things I was studying the history of this man that his mother called a pain, but he decided that he would ask God to bless him, was that he became a famous doctor of law, and he had many disciples, and he left a school behind him. It's like Rod. Okay, Rod really is a great teacher of the Bible. And I have to tell you, the least likely dude... To be a teacher of the Bible was Rod Anderson. I mean, he'd probably steal your Bible and sell it for something on the street. But he wasn't going to teach the Bible. But we're so glad that God changed his life. Amen. Clap your hands for that. No matter what your mistakes your parents made, no matter who was your daddy or who was your mama, God can turn your life around. The power of God to restore is beyond imagination. Let me tell you a story. Um, years ago, I was on the grounds of a beautiful ministry in the U.S. called PTL. I don't know if some of you are too young to know. Anybody know what PTL Jim, Jim Baker was? Anybody see hands if anybody at all knew? Well, it was huge acreage. And uh, what happened was the head of the ministry, who we now know as a restored person, fell in sin. And... Uh, so everything fell apart. And I used to go up there to teach in the 80s. It tells you how old I am. And uh, 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 so 
After everything closed, I went to one place that was very special there on the grounds. It was called the Upper Room, and it was it had prayer 24 hours every day. Probably was one of the first public 24-hour prayer houses, at least in America, that we knew about, other than Moravians. You know, we know about the Moravians that how in your you know in uh, Hernhut how they prayed 24 hours many years ago. But I went and I prayed that it would be restored. And then a few years later, I don't know how many years later, maybe five years or so, I was speaking on the grounds again, and different people were buying different parts of the facilities that had been there. And I said to somebody, what became of the upper room? And they said, oh, it's fallen in terrible disrepair. And I said, will you take me there? So I went there, and I walked up. And as I walked up to this place, it was horrible. There were wine bottles, beer bottles, trash everywhere. I mean, you couldn't see the beautiful prayer walks they had anymore. You could pray scriptures and walk around the building. Nothing was, it was so horrible. And they said to me, there's black mold all in this building. It cannot be restored, but God. So I prayed and I prophesied, this building will be restored. And then I prophesied publicly that building was going to be restored. Even my best buddy says, they're going to tear it down. You can't fix it. You know, I said, well, why don't you buy it? I made a few suggestions, people who own property there. And they said, no, it'll never happen. I said, I stand by the word of the Lord. So I don't know how many years after that, I was there speaking at another conference. And I said, whatever happened in the upper room? They said, oh, didn't you hear? Someone bought it, and it's been restored. And I said, I want you to take me. So we drive by this place, and it was beautiful. I mean, all the beer and wine bottles gone. All the overgrown vines were gone. It was beautifully landscaped again. So I go up to the building. So I said, oh, I just want to see it. I Just because I knew what it was like. I just want to see it. So I go in, and uh, I walk up to the building. Sorry, this thing is like having a fashion moment. I walk up to the building, and and there was a man there. I thought he was the gardener. He looked real scruffy, you know, obviously hadn't shaved. And I walk up, and he looks at me, and he goes, are you Cindy Jacobs? And I said, yes. And he burst out crying. He said, I know about the prophecy. I own this building. He said, I live in Virginia Beach, and this is in uh, North Carolina. And he said... Um, it might be South Carolina. Yeah, it's South Carolina. It's right on the border there between North and South Carolina. He said, at 3 a.m., God awakened me and told me to get in my car and drive here. And I didn't know why. That day, he had just arrived. And so he began to tell me the story. He said, one thing he said is there were 17 beautiful paved stones engraved with scriptures. And people would walk around the building. He'd been a cameraman at that time um, for the old PTL club. And, and they would pray. He said, one of my missions was to put everything back in its original place. Literally, he found every piece of furniture that had been in the prayer room. He said, some were in people's warehouses. Some of people were using it for coffee tables. I found every single piece. And he says, so I determined to find all 17 of those paved stones, those prayer stones. And so he found a bunch of them, and they were digging them out. And finally, there were two left. And he couldn't figure out where they went. And he realized they had 
paved a street right over them. So this man wasn't daunted because God had given him a mission. The word of the Lord was everything would be restored, and that was his mission. So he went, and he got a shovel, and he started to dig. And he found one stone. He got a cement cutter, cut it out, pulled it up to the top, and there was still one left. And he was talking to his buddies, and he said, it must be way under the street. So they got a big backhoe, and they took it, and they dug under that street and found the last one. Are you listening to me? And they put it back in place. When God restores your life, I gave you that prophecy about restoration. Doesn't the book of Joel say, I will restore the years, the canker worm and the locusts eaten up to you. In other words, God can restore the biggest mess you make. Whatever happened to your family, whatever you did with your finances, you might be not only a mess, but a super mess. I mean, some of you might even be able to top Rod in the stories you heard today. Maybe your children are a mess. Maybe your grandchildren are a mess. Whatever that pain is in your heart, God is able to mend history. He is the greatest history maker. He is the God that parted the Red Sea. He's the God that parted the Jordan. He's the God that took down the greatest army at his time, the Egyptian army. He took down Pharaoh with something he created, which was water. I tell you, God can go to extravagant lengths to mend your life. Put your hands together and thank God for that. So what do you do to get out of that place? You believe, of course, that God will do. Number two, don't stay stagnant in one place. Appropriate God's promises. Learn to say God's promises. You know, my house speaks to me. I have scriptures parked all over my house. I have it in little plaques. I have it in the loo. Whatever. I mean, I have it everywhere. You know, wherever you spend time. Put a promise of God there. Some people put promises where they shave in the morning or whatever it is. Listen, we used to, a long time ago in the Jesus people moment, we had a lot of scripture in our houses. What's wrong with us is some of us have taken it down. It's time to get the Bible out again. Time to read the Bible again. Appropriate God's promises for increase. You know, if you want to see increase, you've got to take risks. My daddy preached a sermon, and he said, Great people take great risks. Small people rarely do because they're afraid to fail. Well, what if you fail? I pray your failures be small. What if you look on your life and you fail? What if you had a failed marriage? What if you had failure you look at your kids? Maybe what if you had failure in your finances? Don't stay there. Don't be a victim. Don't let the devil convince you that's all there is to your life. Amen? I love this increased scripture, Psalm 115, 14 through 15. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Today, as I usually do, I prayed over my grandchildren. I prayed for legacy. I believe for great things. I believe for great promises. You know, you have not because you ask not. Some of you are stuck in your brain, and you just can't see that God can do anything great with you. Look at Mother Teresa. 
How can you, God, use this little nun to start such a great movement? Everyone remembers her name today and will remember her name because she fed the poor. How do you begin? One person at a time. How do you take care of the poor? Find someone to take care of. How do you love the unlovely? Ask other people to give you clothes that you can give away. You see, just get off the mark. Just do something. Find something that you can do. Amen? And then point three, keep me from evil. There's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of evil. Psalm 91 gives his promise of divine protection. Verses 11, 12 says, He will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. One time years ago, I was going to Venezuela. Venezuela is kind of dangerous now. It was extremely dangerous then. And so I went with my girlfriend. I don't know, maybe Mike was working. I don't know why he wasn't able to go at that time. But uh, we arrived in Caracas in the airport. It was like 10 at night. And at that time, I didn't speak much Spanish. I speak more Spanish now. I could have probably navigated this a little better. But we came in, and nobody was there to pick us up. And this made us very nervous. And not only that, we noticed that they were closing everything at the airport. I mean, all the cambios, all the exchange places, money, everything was closing up. And so we had a big problem because I went to try to use the telephone, and it took tokens. But the problem was the booth for the tokens was closed and was the money exchange, so I had two strikes against me. So we sat on top of our suitcase, and I said, I told my friend, I think it's time to pray. And we prayed, and we prayed fervently because we, you know, tried to, we'd ask some people, should we take a taxi? And all they would say, is there any Spanish speakers here? Muerto. You know what that means? Dead. <laughs> I understood that one word. No, no, no. Muerto. <laughs> Whatever. You know, you're going to be dead if you take a taxi. Well, that wasn't an option. We couldn't make a phone call, couldn't get a token, couldn't get money, and we couldn't use a taxi. So we had to have heaven's taxi. So we're sitting there praying. All of a sudden, this little short guy walks up. In perfect English, he says, hello, may I help you? And we said, well, yes. And then we explained our problem. He goes, oh, I have a token. And he pulls one of his pocket. Would you like me to make the phone call for you? And I said, oh, yes, thank you. So he goes, and we gave him the number of the hotel, and he goes to call the hotel. And so, so while I'm waiting for the operator to come on the hotel, he's standing next to me. He said, oh, by the way, my name is Luis, and I'm an angel. So I'm like, I mean, it took a moment, like, for this to sink in my brain, you know. Not every day is somebody, either he was a psychotic lunatic or this was a real deal. And right now he seemed really real because we were in big trouble. So I said, you're an angel? He goes, yes, you know, from there. I said, oh. And then the lady came on the line, so anyway, I was talking to her. And so he went and he, and he got on the line in Spanish. He asked him, he told us to send a, uh, a transportation out from the hotel, and they did came to pick us up. And so after we got everything in the car, I turned around to say goodbye. Guess what? He was gone. <laughs> Luis was gone. I didn't know that Latino angel had to go help somebody in serious distress so they weren't muerto, you know. 
Listen, God will send angels to you. How many of you feel like God has sent an angel to you? Can I see your hand? I have a few angel stories in here. I mean, I remember one time I'm driving down the way, and I'm going really fast, and this big lorry in front of me stops, and the next thing I knew, I was on the other side of it. I mean, I didn't swerve. I don't know how God did it, but I was just one place, and then I was the other place. Oh, I wouldn't be here today talking to you. Now, let's summarize this. Number one, don't let your present circumstances define your future. Let with God's word and promises determine your future. Oh, Lord, Jabez prayed, will you bless me? Will you enlarge my territory? In other words, will you give us space? Do you need property? This is a great Bible verse to pray. That president of Costa Rica that I talked to you about, he believed the word. He told us he did. He put three former presidents in jail for corruption. That was part of his prophecy. You'll expose corruption in the nation. This is a very useful gift. What if he hadn't become the president? Maybe that systemic corruption would have grown and grown in that nation. Amen? Amen. So I encourage you to believe and to exercise even what God would tell you. Number two, dream God's dream for your destiny. Spend time in the word and allow him to reveal the purpose that he has for you. Sometimes it takes work. You know, maybe you don't have a prophet that can come along and give you a prophecy. It doesn't matter. God can do it. God can give you a prophecy. Number three, trust God for divine protection from disease and from evil. Why don't you stand to your feet, would you? We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 